2: And one of the most talked-about drivers in Formula 1 circles right now is Ferrari junior Mick Schumacher, given he's leading the F2 Championship and is widely expected to race for Alfa Romeo next year. But how good is he? And what should we expect if he does make the step up? Helping me cut through the noise of a famous surname are Mark Hughes, Jack Benyon, and Vol Harunji. Jack, in honour of your first appearance on this podcast, we'll introduce you first. Uh, for the race this year, you focus on American things, but you have a, a foot firmly in the world of Formula 2, don't you?
3: Yeah, I covered two years of, uh, well, GP3 and F3, um, and then two years of Formula 2 for a different publication. So, still do bits and bobs in the paddock and still uh, well in touch with most of the teams and, and a lot of the drivers in there. And yeah, it's been a, a fantastic season to watch so far. It's been, uh, I think the race will probably be a
2: bit unhappy about how much F2 I've watched, but for this uh, podcast, it's probably quite helpful. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does come in uh, come in handy. And actually, uh, Mark Hughes, I should bring you in because you're probably in the same position as me because all the F2 stuff in particular happens at really awkward points on the Grand Prix weekend. The sprint race isn't too bad, but it's it's often quite hard to follow the feature race properly. I often end up watching them some days later. But I think, like me, you you try and keep an eye on on goings on in in F2 and F3 for the next generation coming through, don't you?
1: Yeah, exactly. And. Um, it- I, I quite often it, there's a decision to be made quite often um, when, when you when you're at the races between uh, cracking on and meeting deadlines and um, getting drawn into w- watching the F two race, particularly the, the the sprint race. And it's yeah, it, it's it's not it's not always clear what um, what I will do at any given time but yeah I've, I've certainly seen enough to see the the patterns of his performance and um, as I, I've seen the evolution in, in him over the last couple of seasons so yeah yeah it's, it's, it's definitely um, a very interesting topic.
2: And Val you are of course as ever in the uh, in the Soviet Union but even from over there you can uh, you can see goings on in F2 and F3 you're you're, you're something of a, of a junior single seater enthusiast well I shouldn't say enthusiast that makes you sound not professional but th- that's an area you do take a keen interest in isn't it?
4: Yeah, uh, regarding the Soviet Union, we just got TVs here and they're finally showing some outside racing because the iron curtain's been lifted, but...
1: seem to remember that happened some time ago, Ed. You need to uh, brush up on that. No,
2: no, no, j- just two months ago. I- I've checked. No, I was, I was I was born in 1980, so my worldview is a lot. But but yeah, it got my start in
4: covering junior single-seaters and it's always been a, a keen area of interest for me. And so I, I will have watched Mick for basically all of his seasons to varying degrees all of his six seasons in in junior single-seaters so far
2: so we should have every angle covered hopefully and the idea is that we'll we'll try and break down different aspects of uh, of Mick Schumacher to try and give everyone a bit of a deeper understanding of it because obviously because of that famous surname everything kind of gets a little bit distorted and seen through that prism so we want to try and look at him uh, mostly as as a driver so Val speed I mean how quick do you think is is Mick Schumacher? This is obviously the key facet for any racing driver, isn't
4: it? Well, first of all, I mean the, the obvious thing to say is that Mick Schumacher is quick. He is a and obviously a professional racing driver who is already capable of doing a job at a professional level. He's not just you know some rich kid who doesn't belong at the levels that he's reached. That he's reached. He's not clearly never been out of his depth. He's a good racing driver. But the question you're asking is not whether he's quick. You're asking whether he's Formula One quick. And I don't know. And that's a... You know, I still don't know, even though he's leading Formula Two. I I certainly have my doubts. And maybe a lot of that is rooted in in how he made his debut. Uh, So back in... Would have been basically five, six years ago when he was making his debut in Formula Four after a decent but not, like, superstar karting career... Uh, and the headlines will have been that he won on his very first weekend in German Formula 4, and that is correct. But the caveat there is that it was a reverse grid race, the third race of the weekend. He started second, he led, and he won the race despite late pressure from a teammate that would have probably resulted in an overtake if not for a late safety car. And still, you know, winning on your first weekend, even if it's a reverse grid race, it's really good. The rest of his season was... Not fantastic in the slightest and it's it's that early impression that maybe still clouds him a bit for me because first impressions are difficult to to improve upon in the best of circumstances. Uh, I think it, it was a, a competitive field. German F4 was a very strong championship then for that kind of level of championship. There were I think nearly bay cars for some of the weekends to the point where certain drivers didn't qualify. Like it was Formula One style, did not qualify, not because they were too slow, but because there weren't enough places on the grid. And his normal place when it came to qualifying there would be maybe like below 10th, just above 20th. I think the best he did all season will have been something like 6th or 7th. Um, he improved in the second half of the season, but he, he never really looked like a proper, obvious front runner. And he only added one podium after that initial breakthrough in the opening weekend and that doesn't mean he's bad or anything that did not mean he's not talented but that's the kind of season where if you don't have the surname Schumacher it might very well spell the end of your junior single-seater career it might lead to people going like oh he's all right but not really an F1 talent an F1 talent would have been regularly competing at the front in their first F4 season whether that's fair or not I don't know but certainly it's, it's a case where he got the kind of opportunities that maybe other
2: drivers who performed at a similar level at the start maybe did not. Yeah, it's interesting to to look at that progress because, Mark, that Mick Schumacher buzz, he, he hasn't had that that kind of Charles Leclerc-style buzz that existed um, around a driver like that. But he sort of gradually, as time go, goes on from that starting point in, in F4 through F3 and F2, he has started to build that, hasn't he? It has grown in terms of what the F1 paddock's thinking about him, let's say.
1: Yeah, um, he hasn't made the um, impact on performance alone um, that some others have done. Um, but th- that's not necessarily a, a damning thing. That's not necessarily cause to write someone off as a, as a, as a prospect. It, people develop and mature at different rates. And we've seen this many times, guys that have come up looking okay, Suddenly, flower um, as they get to Formula One because it happens to coincide with when they've um, made you know their own developments and uh, their their own adjustments, say, and in, into the demands of the sport. So um, he's shown enough to be um, very seriously considered and to be w- worthy of a an opportunity in F one. I think that's as much as we can
2: say at, at the moment. Is that your dog trying to chip in in the background? Yeah, his back's just shaking himself. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a, a vigorous disagreement. Well, let's see if we can get Jack Benyon to vigorously disagree with you as well. What, what do you make of the, the pace of Schumacher? Obviously, you've seen him up close in F2 in particular.
3: I think um, it's quite similar to, to what Val mentioned earlier. It depends how we're kind of evaluating him here. You know, it's very easy to evaluate Mick as a Formula 2 driver. And if we're just going off F2, then he's having a good season. And, you know, as, as Mark rightly says, has, has kind of talked himself into the discussion for a Formula 1 seat on on merit. But what we have to do is kind of analyse what we're learning about him in Formula 2 and apply that to how he's going to, you know, perform in, in, in Formula 1. And what we've seen this year is... Um, I think you pointed this out Ed before we uh, started the podcast. Is that his racecraft has improved this season compared to to last year? Um, he's performing at a more consistent level. Uh, you know he's getting the better out of the car than he was last season, um, but I think there's still a few too many errors there. Um, and and for me, I've still got major doubts about Mick as you know an established Formula One driver. I think he's earned the chance to go and prove that he can do it, but I I still have a lot of doubts from what I've seen. You know, you look back to his first season and and Baku, he threw away a definite podium there with a, a bit of a silly spin coming onto the the main straight, and then this season we've seen a few errors like uh, Austria as well, where he uh, threw away a good chance at uh, a win. And you know, the doubters here, are, you know, will will step in there and say, well, you know, his rivals in Formula Two have had similar er- errors. You know, I think the most high profile one was Callum Ayloch spin while leading in uh, at Silverstone. If if you've watched the F2 races this year, you'll you'll remember that one as a bit of a dramatic moment. Um, but yeah, I think we're not comparing Mick against other Formula 2 drivers here. We're trying to work out whether he's going to be, you know, a, a future, you know, regular Formula 1 driver that's going to earn his place on, on merit. And I think there's still a few too many questions to ask. I think a qualifying performance has been better than what probably people maybe think it is. But also, you know, he's not got any poles yet and as yet to pull a proper headline performance out the bag in qualifying, which is a, a big, a big worry. Not necessarily something, again, that should stop him from getting a Formula One seat. But when we're applying this knowledge to to how he's going to perform in F1, I think it's something to to consider. Lando Norris, for example, um, in his Formula Two season, only had one pole position. So you know, if Mick can pull one out at the end of the year, he'll be on the same. Uh, you know, stat territory as, as Lando Norris for his Formula Two season, but obviously Lando has gone on to prove himself to be a you know a very capable Formula One driver. So it's uh, it's it's difficult with Mick. You can spend all day comparing him to the rest of the Formula Two field, but ultimately we need to uh, kind of assess him at a, an F one level because that's what he's being discussed at at the moment. And in terms of his racecraft, uh, I've still got a few questions about it. I think he's delivered strong points, and his his average finish in both races, feature and sprint this year, is around fifth. So you know, someone with um, someone with poor racecraft wouldn't be able to pull that off in a, a championship that's so competitive and has so many variables. So I think there's definitely strong racecraft there, but there's still just a few too many errors, and these these are the kind of things that can't happen at a Formula One level. You know, we're talking about the the, the final two tenths here. We're talking about the elite. We're talking about you know not making any mistakes, some Formula 1 drivers and still having bad performances over the course of a weekend even when they've not made any errors just because the standard is so high. So I think uh, there's still plenty of questions to be asked but I think on the whole he's earned the opportunity to go and prove that he can do it You know, right or wrong.
2: I guess it all comes down to how we estimate the f2 field this year because f2 does kind of ebb and flow in terms of uh, the overall quality obviously we've had some had a particularly strong year a few years ago the russell year when it's russell norris and, and alban uh, at the front Charles Leclerc before that when it was uh, gp2 won the title but it's always been a bit of a, an ebb and flow it does seem that overall this is th- this is kind of a decent f2 crop but without necessarily feeling like an absolute classic field, should we say so i guess that's the other context we have to put on it Val how will we see this this F2 field as a kind of barometer of, of, of a driver?
4: Yeah I'd, I'd, I'd say it's certainly a, a pretty decent field but not maybe there's no there's no, as you said there's no Russell there's no Leclerc there's not even a, a Gasly that you would necessarily point to and you'd say this guy definitely has the outright sheer rule pace to be a Formula 1 driver. You look at this here's field and I think the guys who really have surprised when it comes to their single lap pace, they're, m- many of them have been rookies. Yuki Tsunoda and Christian Lungard, they're, they're very new to, to Formula 2 and maybe in in seasons with maybe more seasoned grids, if that makes any sense. They would have struggled a bit more to set themselves, but the fact Tsunoda's already had three poles, I think, and Lungard's been at the sharp end pretty often, and so has Robert Schwartzman. It, it suggests that maybe there's not that... Established depth of experience that has existed in GP2 and F2 sometimes, and that's the real up-and-coming stars had to fight against. At the same time, not really sure that's a problem. I mean, we probably should be pretty happy that you know the newest, rawest talent gets gets a fair shake in F2, and it's a good grid. I certainly, if if Mick brings it home this year, even if not by much, I I don't think you can be too critical. It's it's a good grid. It's it's not a walkover. It's genuinely it's been a good season. Even f- having started it with major doubts and skepticism about his outright potential because of the of his rookie season, I'm, I I feel like I've been proven wrong, and I feel like I will I will have a pretty easy time accepting his inevitable move to Formula One. But that's kind of that's I think all of us have noticed that 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 is, that is kind of the mixed Schumacher trend is that he's done three categories in junior single seaters so far two years in each first year he does not look too good just he didn't look too good first year in F4 didn't look too good first year in F3 i've i've ahead of this podcast i've revisited his qualifying record in F3 in his first season he was just no good whatsoever and he was with Prema, and it was no good and he was pretty obviously the slowest guy out of the four there but then always in in his second season at some point he just he just figures it out and it clicks for him. And maybe he doesn't become the outright super fastest guy, but he becomes fast enough to where his really excellent racecraft allows him to bag repeatedly a lot of points and emerges a title contender and in F three and maybe even this year win the title.
3: Yeah, I think just to add to that, I think uh, it's important to consider the context of, of Formula Two as well, and, and, and what we're going through this season. It's been such a, you know, an unusual season, and, and, and one where many drivers have been able to succeed. And uh, we've seen some real roller coaster seasons from different drivers, and, and part of that is down to a, a, a pretty fundamental change in the, the way the car performs and, and how the team set the car up because the tyres have changed this year. Obviously, we moved to the. The 18-inch wheels that that Formula One will will use in the future, and F2 is kind of like guinea pig for for that. And Pirelli have been working in in the background to uh, get those tyres ready for this season and, and introduce them for for this season. So although we had a new car in in 2018, you know you quite often get these periods in what would have been GP2 where you have the same car for quite a few seasons, things steady out and, um, you know, it takes two seasons for a driver to, well, sometimes more if you look at someone like Palmer, um, you know, it takes, takes a little while to understand the series, learn the the ins and outs and be able to do that consistently enough over the course of a season because the car's, you know, steady, the the machinery is the same each year but what we've had over the past few years, obviously 2018, the new car came in uh, and then this year we've got the new tyre and, I think this year is almost if you speak to the teams it's almost like having a new car because it's so much different to set up and the tires are obviously the key part of f2 they always have been the pirellis degrade and um you know they're they're very difficult to manage and obviously they've changed again because of the size of the wheels and it's taken a good half a season for the teams to really you know learn how to to get them in properly and, and use them properly and i think um, that's been a, a massive part of, of the season and why we're seeing drivers kind of all over the place in terms of their their performances as well. So Mick definitely plays into that and has taken advantage. And in a season where, you know, it might have even, you know, as Val said, we've got quite a lot of rookies and, you know, a, a lot of them are in the championship battle, but none of them have been able to assert themselves like 2018, where we had George Russell, Alexander Alban and Lando Norris all come in. Sorry, Alban wasn't a rookie at that point, but he'd moved teams obviously George and Lando were the, were the rookies and you know they, they absolutely dominated the series between the, the three of them and were absolutely fantastic and we've not seen that from a rookie this year even though the cars have changed so much so yeah it's a, it's been a really interesting season and mix managed to weather that fact that you know rookies are going to have a little bit of an advantage that the cars are so different but he still managed to put the performances in so for that sense you know he's doing a really good job of of uh, managing his F2 season, let's say he knows he's not gonna out qualify someone like Callum Ayala. You know Callum's average qualifying is three point one, I think, over the course of the feature races. Um, and and mix, I've got it on a piece of paper, so I can I can check this mix at about six point seven. So he's immediately losing, let's say, two places in in each feature race, which is obviously where the po- most of the points are weighted. Um, but you know his his, uh, his racecraft, as Val mentioned, um, has, has really seen him through, and his, his average finishes um, in the feature race are better than Callum's. So you know I think it, it, it shows that he is managing the season very very well. And I think, sorry, I'm babbling on a bit here now. But just to go back to, to what Val was saying about the, the whole second season thing, I think it's um, I think that's a characteristic of his management as much as it is of Mick. You know there their attitude is to send Mick in the first season with no expectations, with a good team, a good grounding, you know, everything he needs around him to make sure that he learns everything about that series. And then the next season target is always the championship and, and he's managed to, you know, deliver that on, on numerous occasions. So, you know, I think um, obviously I'm not crediting his management for, for everything that's happening with Mick at the moment, but I think the, the whole second season thing is a big thing that his management team that he's got around him have, have helped to set up and is one of the reasons why he's managed to prove so successful in those second seasons. I think the big question that I'd like to hear kind of you and you and Mark talk about Ed is, you know, can he afford to have a, a poor first season in Formula One? And I think the probably the answer is yes because of you know what he brings from a from a marketing point of view and his his branding having another Schumacher in, in Formula One is obviously a, a a massive thing. So he probably has got the luxury that he can go in and have a, a pretty uh, average first season. But it's going to be interesting to to see because obviously
2: uh, Formula One isn't quite as uh, forgiving as some of the junior championships out there. Yeah, you know, that's going to be a key question. We'll probably dig into that one a little bit later on. But there's one thing I wanted to, to ask you, Mark, because that thing about, we've got a picture of a driver in, in Mick Schumacher who's kind of very quick without being... Earth shatteringly so, should we say? And by that I mean kind of Charles Leclerc quit, as in that that very elite kind of once every few years uh, driver. But strong on racecraft. Given in Formula One how critical the qualifying performance is to defining your race potential, would you, if you were a, a team looking in, be a little bit concerned about that, or do you think that that that's something that will will come? It's difficult, isn't it? Because F two is such a specific series in terms of. Judging the the drivers and actually pace isn't always the, the the number one factor, shall we say?
1: Yeah, I mean it's pace is always the the, the number one thing, and yeah, it would be a concern if he's not um, been he's not set a pole position and he's in a top team. So you would be you'd be bearing that in mind when you were like, watching to see how he progressed in Formula One. But I, I do um, I, I I agree with um, Jack. He does have. The luxury um, of uh, more than more than other drivers, probably, of you know, being allowed to flower, being allowed to improve over time, and I think as long as uh, he shows enough signs of um, sparks of potential, um, he will he, he will be able to retain that that place for a you know let's see and then see how he gets on in a second season, but um, yeah, it's 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 obviously not a. Not a done deal that he'll be that he'll be quick in Formula One. And if he's if he's not, obviously the, the pressure begins to ramp up. But the the weight the weight of his name, the weight of the story that he, he represents to Formula One, I think will ensure that um, he's still there and, and the Ferrari link as well will, will also help with that.
3: I think you're right there, Mark, and um I think just to add to to that and go back to the the management thing he's obviously uh, perfectly placed to uh, slot into formula 1 and i think the the kind of uh, surroundings he's he's going to be used to uh, really quickly the kind of stuff outside of the driving is going to come really natural to him um you know, to kind of remove the smoke and mirrors for, for any kind of fans listening to the podcast. Obviously, it's very difficult to get fo- get hold of Formula One drivers, at least on the record, you know, between races. It's almost exclusively down to media sessions at the Grand Prix and, uh, you know, any special announcements and things like that. But in Formula Two, the drivers usually have their numbers, you're able to give them a call. Um, you know, you can speak to them between races and they're usually keen to have the coverage, obviously attempting to, to build their brand. But as long as Mick's been in car racing, he's been kind of i don't want to say shut off to his to his media team because that makes it sound like a negative thing and I, I i think it's the right move by his management but when he was racing in germany obviously he would be faced with a lot of kind of questions from the the german tabloids um you know some of them fair but a lot of them you know kind of uh, inappropriate about his 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 dad and and things like that you know I think it's a really interesting kind of uh, debate about Mick is the whole, uh, the name versus uh, the pressure that he's had to, you know, that he's been put under, you know, against that name. So, you know, having the Schumacher name has definitely helped him to get to where he is now. He's been in the best teams. He's had the best, you know, management around him and, and hasn't had to fight for budget like some the 2 drivers might have to in the past, but he's also racing with this enormous pressure on his shoulders of being Michael Schumacher's son and having to, you know, fend off questions from the German tabloids and, and stuff like that as well. So there's definitely a, a balance that he has to uh, kind of match there. But yeah, he's kind of, even over the course of a Formula 2 weekend, Mick isn't someone you can just go into the Premier Motorhome and speak to, you know, he's he's kind of restricted to sessions over the course of the weekend. So if he gets into the top three, obviously being the Formula 2 press conference, um, and then apart from that, his management will announce, you know, various press conferences through the year when, when they see fit. So he's very, um, in many ways, his life in car racing has been managed exactly like a Formula One driver for since it started. So when we actually get to Formula One, obviously, the, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that the attention isn't going to ramp up massively. But he's already been in this situation where he's used to the way Formula One operates media in the same way that has, his management has done with him in the past so I think um, you know obviously it's going to be a, a massive pressure point him coming to Formula 1 and the name and all that kind of stuff but I think you know he's had a good grounding to work with it he's got good management um, and he's he's he, I think he's got the the kind of um, the attitude to deal with it he's very uh, he's very friendly with other drivers but he's just as driven as, as Michael was and um, he you know he wants this more than anyone and I think People kind of forget the 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 Mick element in this that he actually wants to be in Formula One. He's not being pushed there, and um, you know, uh, just kind of yeah, pushed into it. He's uh, he's 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 desperate to get there and wants to do it on merit and and wants to prove that he's got the ability to do it as well to to everyone. So uh, I think um, I think he's doing a good job of that this year.
4: Um, Yeah, to to add to what Jack said, because it's for me it raises a very important point that even I myself often don't really think about. The skeptical part of me looks at mixed career and goes, "Well, what other junior driver just gets five consecutive seasons with Prima Power Team in junior single seaters? That just doesn't happen. That's that only happens if you're loaded or if you're a huge name." On the other hand, and this is something I I keep forgetting about, just because of how I personally watch sports, but to look at it from a more human perspective, obviously, not only is does Mick have a pretty obvious difficult family situation, but the fact is that every step of his is being scrutinised so much more than those of his rivals. Uh, and in that regards, if if we make concessions for that, he's he's handled himself so very well. He's whenever he's been knocked down, he's he's put himself back up again. He's uh, you know he's had difficulties in in his career, yet his progress has been uh, inexorable he's every time after that bad rookie season came a much better second season in these three cases i don't know bad might be a harsh word but you know i think formula one standards i think bad is fine but yeah it's just the fact is the whatever pressure there is he has never buckled when he's made mistakes general genu- generally as as happened this year in f2 when i think he had a a run-in with uh, his teammate Schwartzman in, in one of the races and immediately on the on the team radio after the race he was ready to put his hands up he was ready to apologize to the team and and accept the blame for it and it, it didn't dent his confidence and that's you know that's very important because ultimately if if the first season is as complicated as maybe some of it, some of us expect it to be for him in formula 1 that obviously will also depend on his teammate. Maybe we should touch upon that later. But if the first season is as complicated as it is, and if qualifying in particular proves a struggle, the fact he's mentally resilient and the fact that he is unlikely to crack is what m- may decide whether he has a longer-term successful F1 career.
2: Yeah, I guess when you're a driver like him, you have to take the positives and the negatives of the of the surname. It's it has helped in in some aspects, and but it that that extra pressure probably hasn't helped coming up but the fact he's learnt from that and gone through it probably probably does to an extent it's, it's funny isn't it because people always say well you can't kind of judge him as as Michael's son for example but it's it is really hard not to because that is his surname and you know he he's as you'd expect because he's his son he there are plenty of characteristics he he sort of shares with 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 Michael so you, you see the uh the fact that he is very much uh his son so it's very hard to get that out to uh, the mind but that does also mean that there have also been people kind of out uh perhaps not out to get him but almost been extra harsh on him sh- should we say and it's funny actually because I think I'd spoken earlier in the year, sort of the start of the year that I wasn't especially uh, I sort of saw Mick Schumacher as almost at one stage as the the third in the queue of those FDA drivers at the front of F2. But that was before he started winning feature races. He's won a couple of feature races. The consistency's there. And and actually, I'd say that, that that's kind of evolved his position now. So he's gone very much into a position where you say, well, he's at the front of the championship now. He, he's doing everything. So it's, it's only right and proper that he should be looking at an F1 graduation. He's kind of answered that those questions, I mean, Jack, have you ever got any impression from him that, that that's frustrated him having those having the the perception of him because he's because he's a Schumacher? Obviously, you mentioned the fact that he had some awkward and not especially uh, necessary, shall we say, questions from a more tabloidy uh, uh, more tabloidy journalist at, at some stage. Have you ever seen any sign that that's annoyed him, or has he just learnt to just sort of sail serenely through it? I think my experience of him is very analytical.
3: Um, more so than most drivers and is able to kind of see the bigger picture in a kind of quite visceral way so i think he i think he understands what the surname has done for him and you know is you know acknowledges the fact that you know it has helped him and uh, has given him this this kind of boost in his career but i think he also you know is is uh you know he knows that it's brought additional pressure and he knows he's going to face that for the rest of his uh the rest of his career pretty much you know even if um, you know even if Mick wins six Formula One World Championships um you know people are always going to be asking him about Michael um and and, and that's quite a for a for a sport that has uh you know elite characters that are so often driven by ego um, out of necessity then that's quite a difficult thing to know that you know, chances are you're not going to be as good as your dad, or you you might never never reach the heights that, that he did, and that's quite a difficult thing to, to kind of cope with, I imagine. But, I think, yeah, like I said, you know, he's he's very analytical, he's very um, he, he's very intelligent, and someone who can break down those kind of situations and see the positives and negatives. And I think, I think he does get a little bit frustrated every now and again when he gets asked so many questions about the surname and 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 what it's done for him, because I think intentional or not that question implies that he's not done as good a job as someone who would have been there you know or, or, or people who haven't had the same opportunities as him um, you know would have done better for for example I don't know if that makes sense but I, I guess what I'm getting at is there's an implication that um, you know his surname has got him to where he is now without any any form of talent and you know he, he knows that's not the case and you know anyone who's insightful enough to Kind of look at what he's done and what he's achieved, we'll know that too. That you know he has brought a significant amount of talent to the table, and it's not just his surname that's got him to this point, as as Val very eloquently broke down. So, um yeah, I think it's just a there's just a knowledge from him um, of, of the situation and an acceptance of the situation, um, and he knows this is going to be part of his 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 life for for a long time. Is is uh, the the pressure that surname brings, and as as Val said, you know um, he has made some some silly mistakes here and there, but you know on the whole. Um, you know, he's delivered championships and and uh, has fought for race wins and, and and been a very consistent challenger at the front of the field, despite the fact that he's got that surname and I think that will continue.
4: Obviously it's, you know, the famous thing is that he raced as Mick Betch rather than Mick Schumacher in karting, so using his, his mother's maiden name. So clearly at some point he and his management team understood that there was more than just a positive to having the Schumacher name attached. But when they came to single seaters, I guess the the judgment call was that having it is is better than not having it. Um, and again, thing is, if if I was in his shoes, I'd hate it. I'd really hate getting all those questions about my father. Like I wouldn't. I would not be able to stand it. But he just seems unflappable. He's you know he's clearly accepted that as part of his career, as something, as another challenge that he's going to have to deal with, and he's dealing with it.
2: Jack, one thing we haven't really talked about is is his technical approach, etc. You touched on it in terms of the way he learns through the first year. But what do we know about here the way he works with the team? You say he's analytical. What, what does he have to offer in that regard? Does he look like the kind of driver who'll go into Formula 1 and revel in the, the complexity of the whole thing?
3: I think one of the really cool things about Mick is that he doesn't really like simulators. He doesn't have one set up in his house. Um, or he didn't last time I, I spoke to him anyway um, maybe the sort of coronavirus pandemic has uh, brought that about um, but he's really old school he likes to watch video um, kind of reminds me of and I know it, I think I just made this romantic connection but it kind of reminds me of Senna a little bit because obviously there's the the famous stories where he would get on the plane after the race and have like a VHS set up with with videos of the races and that's how he would kind of uh learn about overtaking and and kind of um at least kind of use that as as knowledge and find out more about his opposition and stuff like that and obviously Senna couldn't have a you know a, a 30,000 pound sim rig set up in his house you know the technology wasn't there back then but I still kind of make this connection with Mick about this kind of romantic idea that he just gets on a plane and puts a VHS tape into the <laughs> into uh into a machine and, and kind of watches the, the last few races but yeah um, He's he's not really. He, obviously, he goes to the Delari simulator and, and does that stuff, the the necessary stuff like um, like the Formula One drivers do with with their simulators in the factory, um, and, and and does all that. But I think in in between races, he likes to really focus on his fitness. He's you know obviously all the drivers are uh, very fitness orientated. It's it's a necessity, but I think Mick more so than most is really really committed to that physical aspect side of things. Um, and and yeah, um, what he brings to the team, I think um, you know. One of the advantages of, of Prema having him there for so long is he knows everyone in the team, everyone in the factory, um, has a very good relationship with the management there, very good relationship with the the mechanics and, and engineers. It's not necessarily been the same people all the way through, through the different teams, because obviously Prema has many operations in many different teams and they don't move the engineers up through the ranks with the drivers. So Mick, it's not like Mick's been with the same person and has this kind of like... Um, you know, this connection with a, an engineer that he's been with for five or six years or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, knowing these people and being around them in the factory and and, and knowing who they are obviously helps. Um, but yeah, I think it's, 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 kind of unusual in the sense that he likes his video and likes to analyze things that way rather than, um, so much getting into the, the data side of things and, and getting into the, um, you know, the home sim and all that kind of stuff. He's kind of a little bit more old school in that sense, but, um, I think the, the team really enjoy working with him um, as much as, you know, it's a it's a big thing for them as well, having the Schumacher name. And obviously they've got um, Montoya's son now and, you know, have had a, a long history of having famous sons really in in their teams. Um, and they've kind of learned to deal with that now, but it's not always an advantage for them. You know, they get a lot of added uh, attention and especially like last year, um, I think Premier were a little bit off last year in terms of where they were in performance, uh, but they had to deal with, you know, so many questions about them as a team. You know, why isn't Mick doing better? Why haven't you helped Mick more? You know, why isn't he um, scoring better results? And that's a that's a big thing for Premier to to deal with because, you know, sometimes they'll go through two or three seasons where their driver's are quite low-key and, um, you know, sort of less, um, less publicity around those drivers and they can just get on with their job in, in the background and then suddenly you know, Mick comes along into F2 and they've got an influx of not just Formula 2 journalists and media, but also Formula 1 people really wanting to know how he's getting on. And especially when you've got like Formula 1 journalists um, who, you know, aren't connected with the teams and and don't necessarily watch all the races or or don't have the insight into Formula 2 and understand what's going on, asking Premo why they're not good enough. It can be a really difficult thing for them. So, you know, they're, they're an experienced team. They've been around a long time and they've dealt with this situation before. So it's not nothing that's going to derail them. Um, but you know, that having Schumacher can have its, its negatives for a team in that sense. So I think, you know, the, the, the fundamental aspect is that they, they enjoy working together. Mick's got a really good relationship with the, with the guys there. Um, there's a good connection with the Ferrari Academy as well. And yeah, just from a, from a analytical point of view, of what we've already discussed, you know, it's, it's, it's his, his mind is very analytical in how he breaks everything down. And, um, I think he's he's keenly aware that too much data can be sort of overwhelming, and you don't want to get too entrenched in, um, you know, what speed you're doing through each corner of the track, and trying to adjust the car per corner rather than over the course of a lap or anything like that. I think he's very analytical to a point, but is aware that too much data can can bring you down as well. Um, and yeah he's um he's done a great job with the team to work with the Pirelli tires to get the most out of them because that's always the key to to formula 2 really or, or the biggest thing that you need to get on top of is the, is the tires and getting them in the correct window a bit like formula 1 a few years ago so um yeah i think his 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 general approach is perfectly suited to formula 1 and uh, that's one of the questions that i don't have about mick is you know how he is a character both on the kind of um, analytical and approach side of things to the driving, but also to the the publicity and the pressure and the attention that it's going to bring. Their questions I just don't have about whether Mick's going to be able to settle into Formula One. I think they're givens that he's proved all of those. I think um, you know my questions as as earlier are just the the little mistakes and not quite um, you know performing uh, you know standout performances in qualifying we've we've not seen, and they're the kind of questions that I'm asking as to whether you know he's going to be able to establish himself as a Formula One driver you know long term.
2: Yeah, in terms of that question, Val, obviously we have to say the fact he's got a 12-point lead over Callum Islet in the points, that does say that his consistency and that ability to deliver is there to a, to a greater or lesser extent, isn't it?
4: Yeah, but at the same time, you, you'd argue that maybe Formula 2, you, you, you'd correctly argue that Formula 2 does not put the same onus in one lap pace as Formula 1 does. Uh, there's, there are so many things that can go wrong for you in the feature race, even if you start first and even if you keep keep the lead off the line. It's it's a lot more volatile than what he'll expect when what he'll get when he gets into Formula One when it comes to races. But yeah, that does not detract from the fact that it's been it's been a good season. It's been an increasingly good season because first few rounds I'd still say were fairly unconvincing. But now that the other Ferrari guys have hit a bit of a slump, both of them, I'd say, uh, I lots lost that single lap edge over the rest of the field that he's had initially and uh, for Schwarzman it's just, it's something isn't quite going right and Schumacher has capitalized on that but so have others I, I, I definitely would not go as far as saying that it's foregone conclusion that he'll walk away with it or that it'll be down to him or, and and I Lot, because Tsunoda's been in great form and Lungard would be closer if not for a for a problem last time out, so pfft, we might we might end up with a totally different idea and picture of this championship once it ends. But he's he's looking good. He's he's found good form, and his previous record suggests that once he's found his feet in the category, it, it doesn't go away.
3: I think just. To, to kind of pick up on something Val said there. It has been a, a fantastic season, but I think it's a it's kind of a good time to evaluate Formula Two as a as a championship. And we obviously we don't want to get too uh, deep into this, but you know, it's my opinion at the minute that part of this problem we're having is to analyse how good Mick is, is that, you know, Formula Two is too much of an entertainment formula as opposed to a, you know, a young driver championship. Um, you know, I, I can understand the argument behind having reverse grid races and giving drivers a chance to to kind of recoup some points when they've had a difficult weekend and, and kind of keep them in contention, um, but things like the Pirelli tires and the 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 amount of um, uncertainty they throw up, you know, speaking to some of the teams halfway through the season, they still weren't they still weren't really sure what they were doing, you know, you know, none of them will admit this on the record, obviously, but you know they, they've got all the data, they've had half a season of competition, and they still don't really understand how to turn the tires on properly and how to how to do that. Um, and the uncertainty that creates makes great racing. You know, we've seen that. And as Val said, it's been a fantastic season and it's, it's perfect for Liberty to market and, um, you know, build this kind of ladder of, um, you know, instead of these drivers just arriving in Formula 1 and building their brand from there, you know, if, if we can, or if Liberty can have more of a, a ladder structure and sense of marketability so that people like Schwartzman who wins F3 championship is already a little bit, you know, better known because they're being marketed better to, to Formula One fans, then when they get there, you can have a bigger fan base, and you know you've got the you've got this whole kind of spiral and effect where you should have, you know, uh, more people coming into Formula One and and identifying with one of the biggest things that Formula One has to offer, which is the characters of the of the drivers. So in that sense, it's perfect. But for me, as a junior Formula, we still don't know how good Mick is because there's too many uncertainties involved in Formula Two racing. Things like the DRS, um, you know, we shouldn't be encouraging you know, young drivers to have DRS to overtake, um, that is purely for entertainment purposes and isn't needed in a junior single-seater championship. So it, it's a good time to evaluate F2 because it's produced some fantastic talent. There's absolutely no denying that. You know, look at Lando Norris, George Russell, Alex Albon from that 2018 year we discussed. Nick DeVries has gone on to, a, you know, looks like he's established himself a successful career in, in Formula E and Nicolas Atifi is doing a good job, you know, up against a very good teammate in in Russell. Um, and Charles Leclerc as well very recently so it's producing some very good drivers but I think it could be even better in the sense of if we can tweak the formula a little bit to be a little bit less about entertainment and a little bit more about finding the best driver we'd have a better idea of how good Mick is and we won't be having many of these conversations it'd be a a, a much clearer picture
2: What you touched upon there is something that does frustrate me a little bit because the junior single-seater categories to be honest they've never had a massive fan base and I know for example you know you look at Sky find that F2 is very often the most dramatic racing they have on it each weekend but it's really hard to get many people to to watch it and obviously there will always be the the hardcore enthusiasts who will watch it but beyond that it's uh it's surprising how few but Mark this thing about F2 and junior categories actually in general and judging drivers while I think it's good that they learn about Pirelli tyres and there's probably a value in gaining experience with DRS although it's not that complicated to get a, a handle on once you get to F1 but Equally, you do want to be able to look at uh, F two and F three and F four or any other of these single seater categories, and really know who is the who is the quickest driver, who's the who's the best racer. And I find that a lot of the waters are muddied in this kind of in the in the pursuit of both entertainment and creating more variety. Because obviously, the more variety you create in a series, the more different winners, the more people happy to spend insane amounts of money to to run in them. There are.
1: Yeah, and the, the, I mean the the ladder sort of got knocked over a, a couple of decades ago, really, where you you were seeing the same people coming up in each of the categories, and you got a you got a, a good chance to look at how they compared to each other as as they progressed. It's it doesn't happen quite so much, but um, having F three and F two on the F F one program has definitely been a a, a very big um, positive step, I think, but the The value of of any of the junior categories really it, it 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 just sort of defines the the momentum of the careers really and once once they get to F one that it, that momentum is, is is sort of will often determine the the caliber of team that you arrive with and from there you're in the lap of the gods really and everything almost starts again from scratch in in Formula One regardless of how um, stellar your junior career may have been so um, I don't think it necessarily follows that someone that's looked outstanding in the junior categories is, is, is going is to be outstanding in Formula One we've seen many examples where that's um, been, the, not, not, been the case and not been the case um, and similarly just because you've looked just okay as you've come up, up through the categories doesn't mean you might not develop into something pretty special in Formula One so it's a very, very approximate reading that you're getting even from something as as high up the ladder as Formula 2.
2: And we've touched upon the fact that Formula 1 will probably benefit from having the Schumacher name but what do you think, Mark, in terms of the actual value? You know, Mick himself has said that his surname's not going to win him World Championships but Formula 1 clearly wants to see one of the most famous surnames of all back on the grid but how much does he really offer F1 in that sense given that on current form there'll be a little bit of early excitement and then you know, he's going to be, no matter how well he does, the Alfa Romeo Ferrari package is going to be very limited, isn't it? So I imagine it'll immediately turn to, oh, he's not doing that well. Even if he's out-qualifying his teammate and getting 100% out of the car, it's it, on current trajectory, it's going to be a bit of a battle to get points in, in that car. Well,
1: that might be a good thing. It might be good that the um, the initial spotlight, which will inevitably come, fades a little bit. Um, and he, you're right, he, does, he offers F1 a great story with a, a very poignant narrative that projects everyone onto the wider world beyond just the usual fans and it reaches out to the world as a, a great human interest story. And you know, we'd all love as fans to be enjoying the, the legend of Michael Schumacher and his retirement, especially now his achievements are back in the spotlight. And it feels just so tragically truncated, doesn't it? But Mick brings some light to that story. Um so obviously that makes you a little bit concerned for him but from what little I've seen of him, he seems perfectly composed. He's been brought up in the racing world, not not quite as intensely as his friend Max Verstappen, but still racing is the only world he's known. And he describes when he, intended, he attended a Grand Prix for the first time, not as a guest, you know, not as just a, the son of his dad, but as a racer, and when he was racing in an F3 support event. And of course he was made to feel part of it all by Ferrari. But and how being in that world, which was one in one sense very familiar, but in another from a totally new perspective as a competitor, that suddenly switched it all on from, switched that desire on from, and he wanted nothing more than to be in there competing. So I don't think it's a case of he's been pushed into making a career of what started out as just a nice family pastime. He, he genuinely has that desire to be there. And he, he's got some great people w- with him, people with his welfare at heart. But the story ultimately only works if he is successful, and you hope he can make it so.
3: Maybe just to offer a bit of an alternative to what to what you were saying, Ed, in in, in the question. But obviously, we saw what Leclerc was able to do at Alpha Romeo or Sauber, even though um, you know it wasn't, um, you know, it's not going to be exactly the same circumstances for Mick. But you know, Charles did prove that if you can uh, considerably outperform a, a decent teammate and and prove that that the talent is there, then you can move up. And I think for Mick. If he does, I don't know if prove wrong is the right way to go about it, because I think what the fundamental argument that we've all kind of arrived at is that he deserves his chance and he might well be a very good Formula 1 driver. we have just not quite seen enough from his Formula 2 performances to to guarantee that's the case. But if he does go into Formula 1 and perform well, then he's got an easier chance than probably any driver that's gone into Formula 1 in, in the last few decades of moving up, because... Because of what you've just mentioned about the whole the whole brand, the, the the story, the fairy tale of of Mick reaching Formula One is going to be such an enormous story that if he does go in and perform well, then he's going to have a better chance than most would of finding a, a better seat and, and moving up the ladder. And of course, you know Ferrari would be desperate to have him in there as a driver if they can, you know, make that work in the future. And you know, the only question mark there is really, um, is he going to be able to prove himself up to the mark and 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 be the talent that you know, we think he has the potential to be. And, you know, it's uh, it's in that sense, if he performs well, it's a it's a perfect storm for him and for Formula One, really.
2: Yeah, and no, I think certainly he should do a, a decent job. I mean, to kind of summarise where we are in terms of the what he offers on track, I, I kind of put him as a, as a you know, a, a quick, very good driver. I don't feel he's quite in that same tier as, say, a Charles Leclerc, but there's not, there aren't many drivers coming into Formula One who are in that absolute top tier. That's very very small number. So being in this sort of second grouping, shall we say, is is no disgrace at all. Is anyone going to argue massively with uh, with that one? I think certainly worth a go, and he, and he's going to do a decent job. You think? Would you agree with that, Val? I mean, you've you've expressed some reservations, but certainly he's he's shown himself worthy of a crack at it, hasn't he?
4: Um, I think he'll do a decent job, and I think he's definitely he's definitely proven his worth as a future Formula One driver. It's, I mean, it's hard to predict how it'll go. You you don't really know until the first couple of qualifying sessions. But I think the truth about Formula One drivers is that, first of all, first impression matters massively. But second of all, circumstance, obviously, matters hugely. And we, we don't yet know, if all of us seem to assume that he's at Alpha Romeo next year, we don't quite know who his teammate's going to be. Whether, whether it's somebody like Kimi Raikkonen staying on, whether it's... Uh, Nico Hulkenberg or Sergio Perez or something like that. Whether it's um, Antonio Giovinazzi somehow staying on, uh, I think all of those routes offer all of those options offer entirely different routes for his career. Like maybe against Raikkonen, who's not at his peak when it comes to one lap pace, maybe it won't be it won't be a huge problem. But if he's put alongside somebody like Hulkenberg, then it could get it could get quite painful for any rookie. And especially for a rookie who maybe hasn't entirely proven himself over one lap, leading up to Formula One, what I think is maybe a bit of a blessing in disguise is that so many of us media types have gone, "Oh, he's just not not that fast over one lap." That there won't be a huge weight of expectation for him to show up and immediately start performing better than whoever his teammate is in Formula One. For me, it's a it's a double edged sword. I think. Most F1 fans are pretty desperate to see Mick go well in in F1, and I, I'd like to make clear that certainly I have absolutely no desire to see him go poorly. I hope it it goes very well for him, and it it it's, it seems like he deserves it. And given his family situation, it'd be a great story. I think it could be a blessing in disguise in that if if there were huge expectations and he came in and he wasn't delivering right away, I think public opinion could turn quite a bit because many people see the Schumacher name as something sacred. And something that, you know, if you're just a pretty good driver with a Schumacher name, as maybe Ralph learned at some point, you don't maybe get the credit you deserve. And I guess it could happen to to Mick too, but at the same time, because there are so many lingering doubts, if maybe the expectations are a bit lowered coming in, then and if the media goes, Oh well this is a pleasant surprise, he's he's performing quite well, then he'll be set and he'll he'll get the support he needs and he won't he won't have opinion turn on him like it maybe could, like it maybe did with Bruno Senna, although I don't remember so well, so I'm not quite sure on that one.
2: I'd have to say that given that it looks most likely, it's not 100% set in stone, but it seems to be going that way, that it's going to be at for alongside Kimi Räikkönen. I'd say, Jack, that's quite that's quite a good position for Mick to be in because Kimi Räikkönen, he's, he's not the quickest anymore, but he's a good, consistent driver, very good technical feedback. So... If you're looking at just the impression you make, you're alongside a driver with a huge amount of experience you can learn from, who can bring a lot of the setup expertise and that kind of thing, but who is eminently beatable on certainly on single lap pace, should we say, as Giovinazzi shown at times this uh, uh, this past sort of season and a half. So that that's even though the Alpha might not be the most competitive, that's actually quite a nice situation to be in for this driver as well. When we talk about the, the sort of second season syndrome, and the fact he maybe wants a, a season to to find his footing.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a nice addition to the kind of fairy tale uh, aspect that we uh, obviously discussed at great length. Is uh, obviously Kimi took Michael's place at Ferrari, and there's quite a lot of uh, you know um, you know talk about that since uh, Mick's been you know has come into the discussion, and obviously he's not going to replace Kimi, but uh, it's kind of like a changing of the guard moment, isn't it? Back in uh, back in the Schumacher favour towards uh, Mick, but those two are going to be an interesting proposition. I think the fans see you know one side of Kimi the the kind of short answers and the, the the fun side of it that we all, uh, you know, laugh and enjoy. But I think behind the scenes, he'll offer a real analytical approach to, to things and will really help Mick adapt to, to Formula One quickly. And, um, you know, I think, um, I think Mick's you know, uh, management will have been pushing quite hard for Kimi to be the teammate because there'll be so much to learn there from from Kimi. And I don't think just because he only gives short answers in press conferences that you know there's going to be any element of not helping Mick out or, or giving him a lot of uh, a lot of his time and a lot of his uh, dedication to to helping as well. And it's going to be um, you know a kind of nice final job for Kimi to do, I guess, before you know he leaves the team as well to to have that you know um, you know that role in. You know, almost helping Mick start his career in in Formula One, a, a new chapter, which will, which will be a nice story. But also, Mick's lived in in Switzerland um, for, for for many years, and I think he's he's well set up to go into to him. Will um, I think the, the there's a there's a good link there. I think um, you know the, the the team's quite out of the way in terms of um, you know it's not a it's not in the heart of Formula One country in in the UK and it's not somewhere where Mick's going to be hounded, you know, continuously every time he goes to the factory or or anything like that. I think there's going to be, um, you know, enough privacy that he can go to the factory and and get his job done and, and, uh, you know, really make that work for him. I think it's a, I think it's a good match all around for for team and driver. I think it's a, you know, if if Mick was going to end up anywhere, I think Alpha's the the best place for him to to go into Formula 1 and obviously there's a lot of talented people there and they've they've uh, got a proven track record of working with with young drivers. So, you know, I think overall it's um, you know, it's a really good situation for for Mick to go into and you know what what we're going to be doing next year is potentially overrating Mick at times if he's beating Kimmy because you know, we'll look at Kimmy and say you know he's won a world championship and been a very successful driver. And um, in actual fact, you know it might be that um, you know next year he is uh, eminently beatable by a, a strong and thirsty teammate who really wants to to prove himself. Um, you know, not saying Giovannazi doesn't want to prove himself or, or hasn't been trying very hard, but you know ultimately he's not been able to match Kimi this year. And you know, however you rate Kimi, um, he's obviously a very good Grand Prix driver, whether he's whether he's at his peak or or not. So. I think next year it's going to be really interesting with Mick if he, if he's beating Kimi, you know, quite regularly. It's going to be interesting to to see how that's viewed by um, media and fans as to whether that's going to be, um, you know, put down to Kimi reaching the end of his career or whether it's going to be put down to Mick really outperforming his uh, his machinery and doing a, a real fantastic job there. So, it's 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 all teed up to be a, a really interesting story. You know, I've mentioned fairy tale quite a lot, obviously as an unbiased journalist I, I i don't really mind how it all works out but you know there's plenty to to write about and as a as a human being you have to kind of enjoy the whole um, you know mixed story coming coming up through the through the ranks and um you know kind of continuing michael's work in, in formula 1 is obviously going to be a you know a, a big thing for michael's fans as as well as any of Mick's fans as well so um you know it's a really good story as a journalist just to 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 see all that playing out and there's going to be So many aspects of that story that we're going to be delving into over the next couple of years uh, that are going to make it a really fascinating, uh, fascinating story.
2: And finally, before we wrap up, we should talk about the, the other Ferrari drivers in F2 briefly. Now, the reason we've, we've done this podcast focusing on Mick Schumacher is there's so much interest in him and I felt he really benefited from a deep dive, although in doing so we've kind of marginalised the, the other drivers. But Mark, Callum is Schumacher's main rival in F2 this year, also Ferrari Driver Academy. He was meant to participate in FP1 at the Nürburgring as well. What case could you make for him being promoted to Formula 1? And Do you think he's got any realistic chance?
1: He's got a chance. Um, he's shown great raw speed on so many occasions throughout his career, but a bit patchily. So, um, but he's at his best. His, his car control and his talent is immense, but it doesn't always seem to have been apply, uh, applied in the most productive way. Um, I was sitting next to one of his engineers on a, a plane a couple of years ago, and he was saying that some of the some of the angles he brings the cars back from are quite extraordinary, but and, and he's very proud of it, and the engineer said to him, well, if if, if that's, why don't you go and show that to the guy with the chequered flag? Because he might be impressed by it. You know? So, I think he's, he's beginning to, sort of, understand the, the focus a little bit more, um, certainly this last season. Um, why he's not a dominant force? Because he has, he has that within him if he puts his peaks together, but, we've seen how often those sorts of drivers really shine when they get their f one chance. Um, he's got this great charismatic personality, very amusing. You'd sense he'd be totally comfortable in the spotlight, a bit like Lando Norris. Um, but his chances seem to hang on a bit of a thread at the moment. But if he could just get that opportunity to impress, he might just open doors for himself.
2: Yeah, it's a shame you didn't get that FP1 because although it wasn't a it wasn't a trial or anything, but if you're in the car and doing something, you can you can make a an impression. What, what do you think, Val? Not just for Callum Islet's chance, but also Robert Schwartzman, who's the other Ferrari driver right at the front in an F2. His season's trailed off a little bit. He is due to uh, have a run in FP1 at the end of uh, the, the season, so he's also on on the radar. So how would you balance up there, uh, Schwartzman's chance as well as Islet's? Islet, I'm not. I'm not too sold
4: on, not because he's done a bad job, but just because he doesn't have the name, doesn't really have the financial backing, and uh, his record isn't the kind of record that you would ignore the benefits of the other guy for, if that makes any sense. He's, he's very quick still, but if he, if he kept that mid-season single lap pace and continued to just absolutely scorch everyone in qualifying, then I'd say there would be a, a huge dilemma there, but as it stands... Uh, maybe if, if Ferrari does decide to do the uh, the second Ferrari supported seat and put it at Haas, but as far as I've heard, as far as I understand it's not a huge possibility and I, I can't see him beating Schumacher for the for the seat. Schwarzman I think the way his form has trailed off basically rules out any possibility of a 2021 promotion if that was ever on the cards. 2022 obviously a lot more likely I don't, I don't think that's the fact that his season isn't going so well in the last few rounds is going to make people forget just how exciting he was to watch in, in Formula Three and Formula Two. Particularly in the races, the guy has supreme racecraft. He's clearly pretty gentle on the tires. He's also he's also quite the right level of cocky, not in a negative sense. Like he, he clearly is also very much ready to be in the spotlight and to be a, a Formula One driver. Even if I think he is going to give the media a fair a fair amount of h- headlines. Once he once he does make it there, um, the 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 why he isn't making it right now, and the the one doubt that remains is that you know looking at his qualifying results from this year, the average is nine point three. You do not win a title with a nine point three qualifying average, and unless he improves on it significantly in the second year, he will not win that title either. So that's that's an area to to massively work on.
2: And Jack, do you want to just have a final uh, say on on Callum Islet and uh, and I Have to say. Eilert's one of those drivers he's quick enough that i quite like to see him getting an F1 shot even though uh, I, I do agree that it's it's looking more of a long shot than a, than a likelihood at this stage he's got more upside than than any of the drivers
3: we've discussed on the podcast in, in my opinion in terms of his pace um, you know if you're going to pick, pick a driver to go and do a qualifying lap in F2 I think all of us would pick Calum Eilert right now um obviously the 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 race craft has still remained a question and has been something he's had to work on his his whole career as any driver who is as quick as he is has to um you know whether that's overusing the tires overusing the car being too aggressive um you know with overtaking moves or 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 in wheel to wheel combat that those are all things that that have to be worked out for a driver who is you know that fundamentally that quick and it's been a it's been a, an up and down definitely a roller coaster career for Callum lot it's not always um you know, with the with the the benefit of hindsight, has not always made the best decisions in terms of where he's gone, the the teams or the championships that he's chosen, and hasn't had a a clear path, let's say, like like Mick has. But yeah, um, you know, I think personally, Callum is more in the F one discussion than people maybe realise, because as as you well know, Ed, he had the the crash with uh, Alfa Romeo while having his test there. I think you were there covering that, weren't you? And um, you know, got to see Callum. Um, and, and how he reacted to that and his uh, his kind of, um, you know, his mental uh, approach to to dealing with the fact that he just, you know, potentially blown one of his big opportunities. But Ferrari stuck with him. Um, they've stuck with him through this season. And, um, you know, af- even after the the kind of uh, notorious mistake at, at Silverstone, have still seen it fit to give him a, an, an FP1 chance. And Callum isn't someone who brings a an F2 level of... Um, or or doesn't bring a lot of budget for um, an F2 level driver. You know, he's not someone who can buy a Formula 1 seat and um, is is probably not someone who could fund an F2 team on his own either. Um, You know, he very much requires a a bit of help from sponsors and and different people to to keep him racing. So it wouldn't have been that difficult for Ferrari to get rid of him if they really wanted to. And they've kept him on um, and, and even beyond the um the, the the error at silverstone that I mentioned, they've still stuck with him and given the FP one chance. So all of that for me, um when you add up all the negativity there, um, you know, and how easy it would be for Ferrari to get rid of him, the fact that they're still giving it giving him an FP one, you know, for me just proves he's still in the in the discussion for them and is is still a, a very real candidate from a for a Formula One seat. Now he's not going to get it over Mick. That's just um never been the case and never was going to be the case as long as Mick was performing to a you know a decent level. Um the Haar seat's an opportunity as well, Val discussed. And I think that's one that's been well talked about now. And also uh, potentially going to Super Formula, I guess, or, or staying in Formula 2 for another season and then seeing what opens up after that is uh, an opportunity as well. Obviously, that wouldn't be ideal for him, but um, you know that might end up being the case. But definitely the driver with the biggest upside of that lot. And uh, we've got Yuki Tsunoda coming through as well, who's um, one we'll be talking about in the future and one Scott Mitchell's written um, quite extensively about on, on the race in recent weeks about how he'll keep his red ball back in even when honda you know leave formula 1 so there's a good chance he's still in the equation and very inexperienced in in car racing um and and definitely wasn't going to be ready for a formula 1 seat next year really after a season of f3 and a season of f2 but with an, with a second season of f2 like schwartzman another very talented driver as as val well, uh, pointed out um i think schwartzman's biggest um, characteristic is that he doesn't really make mistakes um he's very 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 consistent um, and obviously this year hasn't quite gone to plan and you know there has been one or two errors maybe more than usual but um, you know I think Sinoda and Schwarzman will be definitely be in the, the Formula 1 discussion for uh, the year after next
2: well, there's still four F2 races left just 12 points between Ireland and Schumacher so plenty to play for all those races are in Bahrain the last two on the uh, the famous Alta not an oval circuit which will be interesting to see and there's still a few more twists and turns in the driver market that could impact those drivers so thanks very much everyone for your insight we hope that that's given those of you listening a bit more insight into uh, into Mick Schumacher and, and his F1 prospects do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen to check out all the latest from the world of motorsports. and of course check out our sister podcast bring back v10s and the gary anderson f1 show i can particularly recommend and also head to our youtube channel just search for the race loads of videos on there and do join us next week on the race f1 podcast for our in-depth look back at the portuguese grand prix